Mm. Well, I don't know where to start, so I'll just start anywhere, and that'd be a good place, and it'll <coughs> stop me and buy one if it's the wrong place to go. The place that I was intending to go, and I feel that the Lord's saying, go from your notes now, uh, was what was supposed to be scheduled, which was the secret place this morning, but actually as I started to type, it's Matthew 6, 5, um, the scripture, we're actually going to open our Bibles now. Brilliant going without an agenda. You never know what's going to happen You just want to be able to hear. Um, what was that? I like the scripture. I wanted the. Your father knows what you need. Maybe it's 650. It's 68. It's Matthew 68. He's talking about not being like the hypocrites or the pretenders when they pray. Verse 8 says, uh, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And I think he jolly well showed us that this morning, didn't he? he? He knew what we had need of. He knew what our hearts needed, and, and we didn't know ourselves what we needed. But he gave us what he knew we needed. So a better, better title for this than the secret place would be getting into the secret place because some of us find it difficult to do that and people come to me all the time and ask for six easy steps into the deeper life without, without opening the door and going in. Um, I need to do a Bible study, they say. I need fellowship, you know, I need to get somebody else to pray with me. I need this, I need that. But your Father knows what you need. So maybe this is an even better title for this session. Your Father Knows What You Need. And the whole title of this weekend was um, Entering In. And the full title was Entering Into the Power and Presence of God. We'll be looking at that uh, later on. But I couldn't understand at the time why God maybe put it, not presence and power, but power and presence. And of course, with what we've had this morning, has really revealed that it's the power of the cross that brings us into the presence. So it would be the wrong way around to put it, presence and power. So as I began to look at entering into his presence, I realised, as I said yesterday, how much we needed to know the Holy Spirit. And that's why we started with him yesterday and his role in our lives and as I continued to seek the Lord, I saw so much more that I wanted to talk about. And it's as though he said, this, slow down, just slow down, there's plenty of time. So I'm asking that you will, in spite of what's happened this morning, be easy on yourselves. We're all works in progress, and some of us understand much more than others what this whole thing is about. And though we might have been in the kingdom for many years, um, we haven't had a clue of what, really what God is doing or his intention towards us and suddenly he's starting to lift uh, the curtain and we're seeing things in a completely different way. So we need to settle it in a way that new Christians coming in are going to come into this new thing and it's going to feel as if they know more of him than we do um, but that mustn't make us give up or anything. We need to settle it that that will happen. 
and also um, for people like me my whole purpose is to accelerate people far beyond where I've gone my, my, what I want to do is to bring them in where I'm at and send them out of space because there is so much of God uh, to, to, to explore we never get to the end of that so I don't want them coming in back in down there where I came in I want them using me as a springboard and going off so jealousy isn't a right response that will only slow us down and the answer is don't be jealous because it would be silly I remember Roger Price you know saying they come in with their paperback bibles under their arms and suddenly they know everything and he was experiencing something similar there is a time in a, in a new move of God when that seems to happen doesn't it Jenny Larkin was, was uh, God used a new believer to get her out of her wheelchair um, she'd been told she was going to be healed and then this girl is, uh, goes to a meeting and uh, paperback Bible under her arm girlie went into the toilet Law said go and lay your hands on Jenny Larkin well she did a couple of circuits before she did what she was told thinking there's this famous lady you know, and I've got to go and she just touched Jenny and took a wheelchair home in the boot of the car or something the little girl ran away ran away ran away yeah she ran away so what's happening is that God is revealing himself uh, in, in a way that we've never seen before. Obvious statement there. The Father heart uh, is just pressing down. Heaven is pressing down and we're in a time, as I said before, of a divine acceleration. And the Father says to you, everything I have is yours. Think about that for a minute. That was the son that was at home wasn't it not the prodigal who went off and came back but the one who was in the household this is son mm. everything I have is yours I can't conceive what that might be like what it might look like when he says that, that the riches of heaven are at your disposal where does your mind go my mind goes it just I'm thinking I can't think that big so when we're entering in there's something about us that knows and it's that thing of course that there are aspects of the divine splendor that would actually turn us to crisps if we went into his presence so we'll go to a meeting do a bible study read a book talk for hours on the phone to a friend go shopping anything rather than i'm hitting a spot have to a face-to-face -face encounter with god we fear exposure as if he doesn't know already and we walk with barely concealed shame and as Bob Mumford so what's the word for it aptly describes it free-floating anxiety mm -hmm. I think that is a very good description for what many Christians live with free-floating anxiety there's something about coming into the majesty and brilliance of God that shows up all our flaws and all our cracks and all our wrinkles some of you will have heard me tell the story of having a quiet time up there one day and suddenly I saw the sun and the moon and I'm thinking that's like us Lord we're like the moon reflects the sun so um, we reflect your glory I said yeah that's right and suddenly I'm on a close up <laughs> of the surface of the moon <laughs> pox 
holes, marks. I said, that's not very nice. And he said, the closer you get to the light, the more it shows up. (laughs) So the more you're in his presence, the more strictly he deals with that thing. And the things that I could get away with last week, I can't get away with this, this week. I've picked up something from Rick Joyner that I think is very, very useful. Pray if you dare. Which is, correct me ruthlessly and deal with me severely. Because I don't want to be walking around with any of that. I want that thing absolutely annihilated in my life. I do not, I don't own it. So I'm in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Get rid of the thing, it stinketh. Sometimes, and I've been like this, we can be so consumed with presenting the right face to him, so fearful he might not be happy with us, or that he might have a different agenda from ours, that we don't really want to do what he asks of us, that we never actually get in touch or go into his presence, because it actually frightens us to go there, because we think he will ask us something we don't want to let go of, and that all sources out of that thing as well. And... We never get in touch with who he really really is for us. We just don't get in touch with it. Because we won't go in there and take the chance. And of course the enemy of our soul will um, keep us out. As much as he jolly well can. That's why people have difficulty getting here. Because Satan does not want them to come. They may have been in churches for years and years and years. Probably on the periphery of things. Maybe never even feeling that they fitted anywhere. And he's going to make sure that they keep them on the outside edges. But God says, nope, I've got a place where I want to take you and we'll blitz you out of that position. I can remember the night clearly when I first saw in Psalm 139 that he knew everything I did and saw everything I did. And if I could have got under that crack on the sofa there, I would have gone. I felt so exposed, it was incredible. And since then, I have come into the glorious position of being inadequate, vulnerable, utterly weak and totally lacking and realising that he is my all-sufficiency. For a long time he kept saying to me, I am your all-sufficiency. And I'm thinking, yeah. But I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Now I'm like Paul. I think it's 2 Corinthians 7, somewhere like that. Most gladly, therefore will I glory in my infirmities or weaknesses that the power of Christ might rest upon me for when I'm weak then I'm strong and there is this blissful state we've been talking about it all the weekend of absolute surrender of total inadequacy in God that causes us to rest completely in his ability to do all things it's a curious thing it's like um, I don't know what the word is It's a curious thing, because on the one hand, we can do nothing, and yet on the other hand, he wants to use us to do what he wants to do. So it's like you have to step aside and let him do what he wants to do. Step aside, partner, it's my day. I can remember the day he said that to me. Uh, Step aside, partner, it's my day. So we just have to step aside and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, and then we see the supernatural take place. So when he said, uh, told me a long time ago that my only qualification for doing what I do is my total inability to do it. So we settled that. I couldn't do what he called me to do. 
Only he can do it, so my position is to just rest. As Graham said, and I, I loved it, in one of his latest teachings, he said he sent this particular Balaam's ass to say what he wanted to say. You know the story of Balaam's ass. Um, when Joshua, uh, no, not Joshua, when Balaam was confronted with the angel of the Lord, the ass jammed him up against the wall, and Balaam started beating the, the ass, and the ass said, what are you doing that for? Haven't I served you all these years? And suddenly the thing starts talking, Balaam starts talking him back to him. I mean, it was not a surprise to him that his ass talked. And uh, then he saw the angel, but the ass saw it first. There's something in there. <laughs> so when Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, oh, I remember the day he said that to me clearly. I've been a Christian about five minutes. I've just put in the diary on the windowsill at work and he said, without me you can do nothing. went like a sword through my heart. But what do you mean? And since then I've understood what he means is you can do nothing of eternal value. Nothing that will last because it's all sweat and fleshly effort. And as uh, Alison and I were talking about lunchtime, or she was saying to me about it's light, it's easy when it's God. It's light and it's easy. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He does not lay things on us that are heavy. So yesterday we looked at our relationship with the Holy Spirit and today we're looking at the hindrances to getting into his present presence. He doesn't make it difficult for us. He comes and indwells us and as I said yesterday, it's no good looking outside for somebody that's inside, if you see what I mean. Uh, the Holy Spirit isn't going to land on your head like a cow pat. <laughs> it doesn't come on you from the outside, it's black. You know, we do get manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence and we enjoy them. But the fact is, He is within us. And because He's omnipresent, He can also give us a slosh from the outside as well. That's all that's happening there is that He's saying, Look, I'm everywhere. Some of you know Madame Guillon? And it Madame Guillon? No? Never heard? Yeah. Yes. Madame Guillon? Yeah. Uh, she searched for God with all her heart. And in desperation, she ended up speaking to a young monk who was moved by her beauty and piousness. And he looked at this beautiful woman, so distraught about her own lack, and said, Madam, it is because you seek outside what you have within. Accustom yourself to seek God in your heart, and you will find him there. And her heart was the kingdom over which God had come to reign. He was there... He was with her, and the effect of his presence was not to shame or terrify her, but on the contrary, to fill her with an indescribable ecstasy of love. All consciousness, I'm quoting from the book, of the faults that had worried her, was swallowed up in the bliss of being accepted without question and loved unconditionally. She made Christ the husband of her soul as surely as she'd made Monsieur Guillon husband of her body. She later got into much trouble with the religious authorities of the time. Any of you who've read the book will remember this. I think she spent some time in the Bastille, actually, didn't she? Because she wrote of the ecstasies that she experienced with the Lord spiritually as being like her sexual pleasure with her husband. And she described it as fainting with delight. <laughs> they were absolutely outraged. But again, there is a, a, a correlation between 
the sexual arousal and the anointing. Um, and if you hear Bob Mumford on the subject, he says when a man is anointed to preach, he's in a dangerous position when he comes off of the platform because the same it passes across the same central nervous system as, as, as the emotional. Mm. And so you can be in a highly enhanced state of awareness and so therefore very vulnerable um, to canaries. <laughs> Canaries. Canaries. So for some of us that the thought of such absolute surrender to someone we hardly know is impossible. As we were talking about it this morning, the thought of letting God have complete control, of letting him have the things that are dearest to us, the things we think we need to make us happy, we can't countenance. And the fact is, it's because we want control, which is the third thing on there. We want to possess that thing, that person. We want to be sure that the things go the way we want them to go. Maybe you don't tick the way I do, but that has been me in the past. In order to, to get what I want, it's a manipulative thing, isn't it? We manipulate the situation until we get what we want. I wrote this, interestingly, long before he gave me that. But they tie up, don't they? It's the old Eros serpent again. It's the lie of Satan that uh, we should be as God. You, you are master of your own destiny, he says. You don't need him to tell you what to do. You can decide. That was the original sin, you know, that they decided they didn't need God to tell them what to do. And it's at that point that we discover this subtle, tenacious enemy within who will not let go and who has an agenda, and it doesn't line up with his. Again, the Eros loveliness seeks to acquire, possess, and control. It's so ingrained in us that we're not even aware of it. And jealousy is one of the horrible manifestations of it. It's love with a hook. I want my needs met by this person, this material possession, this circumstance. Or I want to be first, best, and right. Either way, I'm, I'm at the centre, totally the opposite of the agape love of God. And when God comes to dwell in the heart, he makes it his kingdom. Like I was saying about uh, Reese Howells. He comes in, we go out really, bringing everything under his control. Jesus said, if a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. And it's there that he communes with us, speaks to us, and reveals himself. It's there, too, that this thing has to be dethroned and put to death. No wonder we don't want to come into the presence. It's going to cost us all we have. It's like the uh, pig and the chicken walking along the road, isn't it? You know that one, don't you? I'll try to get it right. The pig and the chicken walking along the road, and the chicken says, Cool, I couldn't half fancy baking an egg. And he said, Well, it's all right for you, but it'll cost me all I've got. That's the pig. <laughs> Same thing, isn't it? <coughs> this is the eternal conflict that we have when we're born again. The old nature warring against the new. And sometimes we're not even aware that this is the conflict that's going on. The soul or that thing won't give up its right to rule. It will not bow the knee to the Holy Spirit's wooing for executive control. And sometimes, you know, uh, when God 
is trying to get our attention and he's asking for total surrender he'll take us round and round in circles waiting for us to submit you uh, won't forget what he did with the children of Israel he took them round and round in circles he's, and something he simply outweights us we get fed up we're going around the same situation time and time again so if we know his ways the children of Israel knew his works but Moses knew his ways if we know his ways if the journey to Tunbridge Wells takes half an hour and I've been driving for three hours and see a sign that says Tunbridge Wells 10 miles it does not take rocket scientists to, rocket science to know that something needs to be corrected I am going round in circles somewhere and we need to know some principles with God. He does, in spite of all of what we saw this morning, the, the thrill of the way that we met with him, and he actually dropped things, florins dropped all over the place in what he was doing. This is still true. When he exercises resistance towards us, or towards anything or anyone, he allows it to go in circles. So if you're in a situation where it's going in circles, be it at church, at work, at home, you need to stop and say, hang on, I've seen that sign before. I'm going around the same thing again. And he has a weapon in his divine arsenal that we miss. Uh, that's time. He just waits us out. So if we miss him and head in the wrong direction, in his mercy he brings us back round again to the same issue, giving us as many opportunities as possible to get it right. Graham would say, you go round it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. But if you start to see things that look familiar, it's not the other bloke that God's trying to speak to, it's you. This is what is meant by taking another lap around the mountain. You find yourself in the same situation again, and again, and again. So if, by any chance, you are identifying at this point that you have gone round the same situation, the same mountain, perhaps with different people, time and time again, we could take some time out and ask God, what does this mean? How can I go straight? So you may want to take 10 minutes, half an hour. If, you, if something has come to mind that you're suddenly saying, hang on, Eop. I've been here before. So uh, we'll just take a break there. So, Life in the Spirit, that's a short one. And um, this is really about alignment and focus and how you will feel if you're out of alignment and how you will feel if you're in alignment. So you might find yourself thinking, that's how I feel, that's, that's what's happened to me. A life in the spirit is about digging out a well. It's about displacement. It's about letting the Lord take out of you what shouldn't be there so he can put in what he most wants to give you. It's about making sure that the Holy Spirit has enough room inside of you to move and accomplish all he wants to accomplish. A lot of Christians have no internal frame of reference, no internal personal experience of God's presence. Most believers do not practice agreement between themselves and the Holy Spirit, and so they are soulish, 
They're in Eros, they're led mostly by feelings and heavily influenced by rational thinking. And that's why I've been majoring on the relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit, realising that without an ongoing personal relationship with Him, you're on a highway to nowhere. So I want to look for a few moments about what non-alignment with the Holy Spirit looks like in order that you can do what Joyce Mayer calls a check-up from the neck up. <laughs> Ideally, your primary focus should be on your relationship with God. That should be your number one. Your vertical before your horizontal. Because that's the way it comes in the Bible. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Everything flows out from that. So you should be developing your relationship with the Holy Spirit and communion with Him 24-7. As a born-again believer, that should take precedence over everything else, so your focus should be there. When you are aligned spiritually, you are aligned in every other direction as well. You cannot be in fellowship with another believer and out of fellowship with God. It's not possible. But we often do it. We make more of our friendships horizontally than we do the re relationship vertically to our cost. And what we end up with is carnal relationships. Uh, the whole thing becomes eros-driven. Because um, that, that, eros is, is a widespread thing. It's like got roots everywhere. And so instead of us being in the spirit when we meet with other believers, we're in the flesh. And we're actually ministering death to each other. So we'll go um, to somebody else, we'll, we'll uh, you know, go to, to see them to get an opinion. And we'll end up having half a dozen different opinions because we've gone to half a dozen different people. Um, and you get half a dozen different views and none of them come from God. Because what's happening there is you are seeking what you should be seeking from him, from other people, and you just get seven different views. Um, I had put something around here about this, but I'm well done with it now. Lost it. Gone. <laughs> Completely lost myself. Um, but that's what happens. If you refer to people, you get views from them, but you don't get, here we are, you can go seven different people, get seven different views, and none of them God's. So we absolutely have to learn to run to him and feed on him because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and another that they will not follow. I actually don't see a lot of that in the body right now. It seems that the sheep are scattered all over the place because they are listening to the wrong voices. We get, um, when we go to see other people, uh, a patchwork theology and we are like patchwork Christians, nothing matches. So you go to seven different Christians together and ask them a few basic questions and you get seven different answers, mostly not scriptural. So we're sadly lacking in true understanding and faith which appropriates the promises of God. And we spend our lives struggling to understand what's happening to us and using the same strategies as we've always used to get our needs met. And that's what the Lord was showing us through Eros this morning. He's redressing this and bringing us into line with his purposes for our lives which include that complete transformation of how we think so in order to discover his plan for our lives we have to spend time with him there is no way we can do it any other way there is no quick fix 
He will not have anybody else give it you what he wants himself. So you, that, it's got to be programmed into your life, quality time with him, or your Christian walk is going to go to pot, really, not to put too fine a point on it. So can I just ask a quick question? Please. So if you've spent quality time with him and you have gone to him twice first, but then he kind of leads you to go to other people to ask or one other person. So that's fine, because okay, you've yeah. been to him. Mm-hmm. It's like our first recourse in this house, if we've got pain or something wrong with us, is to go to prayer. Mm. I don't go and take an aspirin before I've had prayer. Mm. Because my first recourse is to God. I want him to be my healer. And mm. I give him the opportunity to do that. Sometimes he'll say, go and take one paracetamol, and one will be enough. Mm. Um, otherwise, we get dependent on, it's, again, it's the Eros thing, we're dependent on actually digging out our own cisterns, and our own, and their cisterns that don't hold water. Mm. And in the end, we just end up miserable. I'd put on my notes. Um, we need to be able to find our strength in God, and to do that, we need to learn to turn, and I did in heavy emphasis, Turn to the person next to you and say, I need to learn to turn. I need to learn to turn. We must learn to turn to him about everything. We can't do it without that. A Joyce coined the phrase, I said yesterday, many years ago, don't go to the phone, go to the throne. But how many of us go straight to the phone? We can tell that from the number of times the mobiles ring when people are here. The in and out, in and out, all the while on the mobile, when really we need to go to him. Anyway, there we are. So as a born-again believer, fellowship with him, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, and the grace, isn't it? Love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Who are we supposed to be fellowshipping with? The love of God, the grace of our Lord. It starts the may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Yeah, we sing, it's an Anglican thing. But you say these words, you see, but we don't put them into practice. We don't fellowship with him. It's like he's sitting there waiting for someone to come and talk to him sometimes. So, as a born-again believer, that should take precedence over everything else. Your focus should be on aligned with on that. And when you're aligned spiritually, you are aligned in every other direction as well. But the enemy will use people, events, circumstances, temptations and opposition to destabilize us and make us focus on those things and on our own weakness and our inadequacy which forces us to worry, become angry, resentful, bitter, unbelieving, fearful anything that would cause that old serpent to rise up against God. And as I said to someone this morning, we need to be really honest with ourselves. Is our battle against God himself? Sometimes it is. We find out at the end of the day that it's him we're fighting, not anybody else but him. Because we're actually frightened to go to him, but we'll take on someone a bit like they did with Moses. They could tell Moses what they thought, 
but they couldn't tell God, so they'd attack him. So, just what does non-alignment look like? And I want to draw you a picture for diagnostic purposes. So, this is how you will feel if you're out of alignment. Physically, you will feel tension and stress versus the rest and peace of God. Emotionally, you will feel upset, fearful, you will worry, and you will doubt. Mentally, you will feel there is resistance, and spiritually, non-alignment feels like you're under attack. So, so people mentally would feel... As though there is resistance. Mm -hmm. Spiritually, it feels like you're under attack. So people will come to me and say I'm under attack, and when I unpick it, I find they're out of alignment. You can lose your appetite, sleep, you will find you are tense, stressed, you'll have headaches, even flu-like symptoms. You'll be tired, listless, nervous, maybe just wanting to hide, wanting to get away from everything. Do something physical rather than spiritual. You can't be bothered to pray, so you clean the house or wash the car, eat, watch television at 10 o'clock in the morning, anything rather than. Emotionally, when you're non-aligned, you can be reactive against people and situations. You see the worst. You speak without thinking. You're anxious. You worry. There's fear, anger, rejection, you're irritable, take everything as an offence, you feel rejected at the slightest thing, you're sad, moody, you have a roller coaster of emotions and sometimes you go into cynicism. You are mistrustful, mentally you question everything, you speculate, you pick holes in things or you replay events negatively and guess what, every time you replay it, it gets more negative and the enemy adds more. You are suspicious about people and their motives and there's no rec recognisable pattern to your thoughts because the enemy's not that daft. They just take you into areas of the flesh and right away from the spirit. You become super analytical. When you're non-aligned, barriers are raised against God, against people. Resistance forms and we man the barricades then to repel the truth from other people. We resist the Holy Spirit and the truth he wants to bring. And when people try to bring it, we think they've got some kind of wrong motive. When you are non-aligned, your natural mind has to have the upper, t upper hand. The result of poor alignment brings us into negativity, unbelief, woundedness, poor relationships and condemnation. Alignment looks like this. Physically you're ready for the fight, you're in a place of rest. You may feel apprehensive but you're willing to be involved with God. You're on your toes, sharp, ready. So you get a whole bag full of negativity when you're out of alignment and a one-liner when you're in alignment. You're up and ready to go. Done it. <laughs> That's it. When you're in alignment, 
that's it. You're on your toes, sharp, ready. So if we find ourselves actually out of alignment, following what I've said, the starting point for spiritual breakthrough lies in your will. Often before God can do anything in us, he has to get hold of our will. It's through the will that faith appropriates or comes. So in relinquishing our will, we make room for God to work in us. As I said earlier, he can't do through us what he hasn't been able to do in us. God gave you a will so you'd never be at the mercy of your emotions. We looked at it this morning. Your will gives you the choice. You do not have to stay where you are. You can make quality choices that will bring you into alignment with him. So those of you who were at this first session yesterday will remember, and it's been the theme all along so far, I started by saying this whole weekend could be summed up in a short phrase, bringing yourself under the benevolent dictatorship of the Holy Spirit, or as I put it yesterday, I think the executive control. It's surrender, what we started with this morning. Because we don't actually have any rights. So we just have to give up our right to any rights to him in order that he may live through us. Because as we looked at before, that's what he meant when he said, greater works than these shall you do. So if as a result of what I've just said, you find that you are actually out of alignment... You need a simple prayer, don't you, to bring you back into alignment with God. And I typed one up. I don't know if I've got it. And it goes along the lines of... Oh, my goodness. Is it the alignment prayer? It is. Father, I pray that I would become a person aligned with you, spirit, soul and body mentally, physically, emotionally and spiritually aligned with you and your purposes. That you will train me in righteousness. You will train me to be joyful and peaceful and loving and kind and merciful and full of self-control. That the fruit of the Spirit is the choice way that I become aligned with you. And I pray that that alignment will occur in my heart because that alignment law will push me into a whole dimension of the spirit in which I can be successful in areas of warfare. Without it, Lord, I may be a liability in the day of trouble. Would you raise up warriors, people who want to live aligned with you because they are fascinated by you? When we're fascinated by you, we're not intimidated by the enemy. No weapon fashioned against us will prosper. Because in our alignment we're steadfast, we're fixed, our heart is fixed, O oh God, our heart is fixed, and we're focused on you, in Jesus' name. So that would be a prayer for alignment, if any of you should find that you happen to be out of alignment with him at the moment. So we'll sort of stop there and let you digest that little bit.